Good morning, family. It is good to see you all. My name is Eddie. I am the lead pastor here. Thank you for being with us. If you're new, it's so uh, great that you're with us. I'm thankful for you joining us and, and spending some time with us. If you're online, thank you for joining us and uh, spending some time with us. Let me find my place real quick. My branded water. Well, I appreciate all of all of what you guys are doing and in participating and joining us. It's good to see so many faces here with us. And it, again, if you're online, I appreciate you joining us. Well, we have been taking the last few weeks to talk about worship. And my, my hope was that over the course of these, uh, I think it's four weeks, that we would be able to, to focus in on what I believe is really our primary calling in life. Now, we, we all find ourselves doing various things, whether we're students or we're we're parents, or we work in a corporate environment, or we work for the church. We all have, I would say, temporary occupations. But we have all been created not only with temporary op- occupations, but, but with a, a, an eternal focus and, and purpose. You were made with a purpose, and that purpose is to bring glory to God, and in so doing, enjoy Him forever. And so my hope was that over the last few weeks, we would be able to, to stir up worship in our hearts, to look at what Scripture says and to, to begin to, to re-energize ourselves towards bringing God glory and, and, and ascribing to Him the worth that He deserves. Three weeks ago, we talked about how God is faithful, how He's unchanging, He's the God who is and the God who is for us. And that's the bedrock of of so many things about our faith is that God is who he is. He is the great I am. We can trust his promises because he doesn't change. He doesn't vacillate. He He doesn't change his mind in the same way that we change our minds. But when he makes a covenantal promise, he holds true to that covenantal promise. Then two weeks ago, we looked at how God is faithful. No, that was last week, uh, three weeks ago. Two weeks ago, we looked at how God... Um, is a savior that we worship because he's a risen savior. That Jesus isn't just a guy who taught some good things and then died and we, we, we venerate him, we, we celebrate or memorialize him, but no, he rose from the dead. This is a, an historical reality that we celebrate, that we hold on to, and really that our faith hinges upon. Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that, that if, if this is not true, then our faith is in vain. But it's not in vain because it is true. And so we worship a God who has overcome our greatest enemy, death. There are many, perhaps you have enemies in your life or, or, or adversaries or obstacles in your life, but there's none greater than death. There's none, none that, that stops you in your tracks more so than death. And yet God promises that he has overcome death. And so we worship a God who has overcome death. Then last week, Pastor Jermaine gave an amazing sermon about how our life of worship is one where we offer ourselves to God, and in so doing, we are transformed in the process. We're made more like Christ. We're renewed in our mind. We're able to understand and approve God's, God's good will. And today, I want to I consider something about how we can continue in, in this vein of worship, uh, you know, yesterday I was, I was driving around with my kids. We, we went out to go skateboarding, and uh, so we went to a, a local blacktop area, and they were skateboarding. It was a good time. And then afterwards, we were 
going to go home, but I realized that my, my, the tank in my car was low. And so rather than find myself in a situation where I had to go to an appointment and then I was running out of gas, so I had to go to the gas station first, I went ahead and we went to the gas station. Nothing special, nothing amazing. Filled the tank up with gas. Uh, filled it with unleaded gasoline because it's not a diesel engine. It's not an electric car. Um, and so this was the fuel that went into it. And I've run out of gas before. I have, I have sought to find whether or not E is a true indicator of empty. It's not, but I have found where that true indicator is. E is like, for, at least for my car, it's, you need to get serious about this and go ahead and get some gas. Um, don't gamble. I gambled and I lost. Um, found myself in the middle of an intersection and, and there was a gracious man who went and got gas for me, but, but don't do that. I've come, come to the point of, of running empty, and it's important to keep fuel in the tank. And I feel like as you get older, you, you become more willing to just fill it up at halfway. But uh, I still am riding my, my college lifestyle of, let's just see how far you can go. Anyways, but it's, it, it, it's, the reality is that it's important to keep our tank fueled. It's important to keep our tank fueled, and, and that's true both of, of your, your transportation, but it's also true of your life of worship. And I recognize that as we come to church day in or week in and week out, and maybe you come to the Bible as often as you come to the Bible, and you, you pray as often as you pray, and sometimes we can come and say, I feel empty. You know, I know I'm supposed to come to worship, Pastor Eddie. I, I see everyone else raising their hands and singing songs, but in my soul, I don't feel a sense of affection rising up. I don't feel much of anything. I might even say that I feel numb. And, and my question to you is, where is the fuel? And today, I want to look at a, a text that, while I don't know that it, it doesn't explicitly use the term worship, I think it is giving us a picture of God's fuel that he provides to us for worship. And I believe that as we look at this text, that God is going to help us understand that he's provided the means by which to be motivated to do what we were made to do. That he has given us the fuel that we can put into our tank and become the beacons of God's glory and his worship in the world. But if we, if we don't avail ourselves of this, then we will find ourselves lacking and longing to be filled. So we're going to read out of Psalm chapter 19. And it's, uh, it's only 14 verses, so we're going to read the whole thing. Now, if you're new, we do something that might, might be unique to you, it might not. We stand as we read the, the scriptures because we believe that it's a way of honoring and reverencing God and his word. So if you would stand with me, we're going to read together out loud. Psalm chapter 19, verses 1 through 14. <clears throat> Stick with me. It's 14 verses. We can do this. I believe in y'all. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom, leaving his chamber, and like a strong man, runs his course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, 
and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is the word of the Lord to us. Let's pray. Father God, fill us with the fuel of worship. God, may we be filled with awe at who you are, at what you've done in creation, and what you've disclosed to us in your word. God, I pray that as we gaze upon your glory in all of creation, and we look upon your greatness in your word, that something would rise up in our soul that reflects the, the awesome worth of who you are, that we would be able to say with the psalmist that your word is more valuable to us than a bullion of gold, that we'd be able to look at creation and say, my God, my creator is great. God, would you make us people who see and who worship, who are able to raise our eyes away from the distractions and the the heart-numbing effects of our culture and that we would be able to center ourselves on your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Thank you, guys, for your patience. I see in this text, and uh, let me preface this by saying, if this felt a little disjointed, if as you read this, this scripture, it felt a little odd, you're, you're in good company. You know, there, there's two distinct sections, really there's three distinct sections. Uh, verses one through six, which speak of God's work in creation, and, and the psalmist kind of steps back and, and is in awe of creation, and he, and he speaks in poetic language about the sun rising and setting and, and what that kind of looks like. And then it kind of abruptly changes to talk about scripture, and the perfection of Scripture, the stability of Scripture, the, 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 the holiness and the, the rightness of Scripture. And it seems to be, maybe there's some disjointedness here, but I, I'm hoping that we can bring it together and you'll see that they're both very uh, related to one another. And he goes on in verses 12 through 14 and, and re- really reflects on what, what he has just talked about, reflects on the fact of God's glory in nature, and he reflects on the fact of, of God's glory in, in the scriptures. And so we're going to talk about three different things. We're going to talk about the awe of God's glory in creation, verses one through six, the awe of God's glory in creation, 
And that's really the, the awe or the wonder that we ought to experience as we gaze upon God's glory in creation. The awe of God's revelation in Scripture, that's the, the wonder that we ought to experience as we consider the, the perfection and the worth of God's self-disclosure, His revelation, His Word. And finally, hopefully, we will have a worshipful response, much like the psalmist. So first, let's look at verses one through six. We hear the psalmist describe the heavens by saying, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. The heavens declare, they're speaking, they're saying something. What are they saying? They're talking about the glory of God, the majesty of God, the amazing work and power of God. You know, when Paul reflects on creation, he, he says that God reveals himself in creation. And in Romans chapter 1, he speaks of how God has made it clear that he is there. It says, for his invisible attributes, talking about God, his, his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. Even those who would claim that there's no God are without excuse because God has made it clear that he exists from creation. And if, if you listen to some, some theologians, you will hear this. And if you listen to scientists even who's, who study creation, it, it's interesting that, that we live in a very secular and a very uh, skeptical world, but the foundation of that skepticism really is based on on observations in science that can only exist because of faith. They can only exist because we have an orderly universe that, has, that ha reflect laws and reflect a kind of order that, that demands that there be a creator. If you were to come across a car and look at it and look at how it's intricately, intricately created, you wouldn't think to yourself, well, that must have happened by accident. And the world is vastly, creation is vastly more ordered and complex. And, and so we see that, that it reflects the glory of creation. And he says, the sky above proclaims his handiwork. He, he kind of hones in on the sky. And, and I don't know if you're, you've ever done this as a kid. I remember looking at the sky and thinking that it was huge. And I remember looking at the sun, and, and forgive me, kids don't do this, and trying to stare at it for a little while. And I now wear glasses, so... Maybe that's why. Um, don't do that. You can hurt yourself. But, but I remember thinking, wow, it's, it's huge. And, and in certain places, you can lay on your back and see the vastness of the sky. And that experience, it's intentional on God's part. When we look up and we wonder at creation, when we wonder at, at the stars at night, when you go out to Front Royal or you go to West Virginia and, and you get some of the, the light pollution out of the way and you can actually see the sky, it brings wonder. And he says, day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There's no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out throughout the earth and the words to the ends of the world. In the, uh, and he goes on to talk about the sun. Creation is saying something about God. You know, what's funny to me is we come here on Sundays and we, we sing songs for 15 minutes and we worship God. But creation is 24-7 worshiping God. The frogs are worshiping God. The birds are worshiping God. The stars are worshiping God 
Because they're reflecting his glory and they are in their own way expressing his worth by being exactly what they were intended to be. Human, humanity is the only part of creation that fails to do exactly what it was created to do. We are put in a place where, where worship is constantly happening. You know, I wanted to get an idea of the, the vastness of, of what the psalmist is talking about. And you, you realize when he was writing, there wasn't light pollution. So when he looked up at the sky, he may have saw something slightly different. And at night, he certainly saw something different. And I just, I just searched a couple things. I, I searched how many stars are in the, in, in the universe. And, and uh, one article from Live Science states that scientists believe that there are at least two trillion galaxies that we know of. So the way you find out how many stars are, are in creation, you'd, you'd find out how many galaxies there are multiplied by the average number of, of stars per galaxy. I mean, that's, that's a super rough estimate, but it gives us kind of a magnitude, a force understanding of, of what this is. So this one article uh, said there's, there's at least two trillion galaxies that we know of. I don't even know what that looks like. What is, what is two trillion as a number? I mean, I can write it down. That's a lot of zeros, and we have, we have a, a unit for it, a trillion, um, but it's, it's a big number. That's the number of galaxies. We live in the Milky Way galaxy, and, and there are two trillion of those. And he, the same article uh, says that there's an average about, of about 100 million stars. And this is a conservative number, because I looked at it one, and it, and it said 100 billion. So 100 million or 100 billion, it's a lot. Stars average in a galaxy. So if you take the number of galaxies, two trillion, Multiply that by the number of, uh, of, of, of stars per galaxy, then there's maybe about 10 to the 20th stars in the known universe. That number doesn't hit you because I just said 10 to the 20th, and that means nothing. But that is 10, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, Maybe there's another zero. I don't, I don't know. I, I think I lost track. That's a lot of zeros. That's how many stars there are. Conservatively, probably there's more. To take it a step further, how big is the smallest star that we know of? I'm glad you asked. The smallest star that we know of is, not in my notes, but it's about the size of I think it's Saturn or Jupiter, whichever is the smaller one. Saturn, thank you. And then Saturn is around, I want to say, I'm running out of my... 20, 20 times as big as the Earth? I could be wrong. Scientists, you can fact check me later. The point I'm trying to make is we live on a globe that's already big. And our globe is maybe a 20th of the size of one of the 10 to the 20th stars in the galaxy, or in the, in the universe. And God created it like this. And he sustains it. You know when you try to keep two or three things in your mind and you go downstairs to go get, I gotta get this and this and this, and you go upstairs and you're like, oh, I forgot that third thing. He's doing that to the drazillionth, I don't know. Oh, when he forgets a star, it goes out of existence. 
I don't think he forgets stars. This is the God that we worship. This, he's huge. And what's hilarious is that we think that life is about us. Do you see how vast creation is? And God is interested in all, now he's, he's uniquely interested in us, I will say that, because he sends his son, and, and the fact that his son becomes human and lives this perfect life and dies his death on the cross for our sins in our place, that's an expression of, of how he loves us. So he certainly loves us, but, but in another sense, we are less than ants in creation. And, and to put it in a positive way, your problems are less than the problems of an ant, to a God who is humongous, gigantic, amazing, awesome in his power. The psalmist is thinking and he's saying, as the sun rises like, like a, a, a groom running toward his, his bride, as, as a strong man runs its course with joy, its rising is from the end of the heavens, its circuit is to the end of them, there is nothing hidden from its heat. He's reflecting on the, the awesomeness of, of just the sun. And, and he is set into worship. When we look at creation, it, it ought to be a source of worship. And I think, family, that one of the reasons that we struggle, and this has been true of, of humanity in, in, since the fall, is that we begin to focus on created things rather than the creator. But I think it's a little different from us, you know, whereas before they would, they would make golden calves, we just go on Twitter and, and we begin to walk around like this. And we fill our minds with trivialities, with trivia, where we struggle to connect with the glory of creation. Because oftentimes we don't even see it. We don't go outside. There's something about walking through a forest and seeing trees looming over you, and seeing wildlife existing wholly apart from your presence, with no interest in who you are or what you're doing, no care at all for, for how awesome you are, what kind, of, uh, what kind of platform you have on YouTube, whether or not you've got so many followers on Twitter, whether or not TikTok thinks you're funny, they don't care, and they exist fully and wholly for God. And there's something about being in the presence of nature that, that ought to bring our eyes up to the creator. He says that, that the heavens, and by way of extension, creation declares the glory of God. God has revealed himself in creation. He doesn't, but he doesn't stop there. He takes a sharp left turn and he says, and, and, and if that wasn't enough, he goes on and talks about the law and he talks about the law of the Lord, the testimony of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord, the commandment of the Lord, the, the fear of the Lord, the rules of the Lord. These are all synonymous ways of describing God's word and his testimony to us. Now, certainly each of these, these words has a nuance that he's trying to get to, but the overarching force that he's trying to say is God's revealed word, what he has explicitly told us through his prophets and, and in the New Testament now, his apostles, it, it has an effect that ought to bring us to a place of worship. Look at verses seven and, and following with me. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The law of the Lord, God's, God's word to us, 
His self-revelation to us is perfect. It lacks nothing. There is no error. There is no mistake. There's nothing wrong with it. It is perfect, and it revives the soul. God's word has the ability to revive our soul. It has, it's got the perfect, perfect mix of, of, of the law and the gospel to show us what we've done wrong and what we need and what God has offered in his salvation to bring about re- revival, to bring about new life, to bring about conversion. God's word, it brings life. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making simple the wise. You know, Jesus reflects, I think, maybe on this text, and he says that there were two men, one who built his house on the sand and one who built his house on the rock. And the one who built his house on the sand, the winds came and the rain fell and the house broke down. But the man who built his house on the rock, the rock of God, it stood in the midst of the storm. The testimony of God is sure. It makes simple the wise. It brings stability. It brings, it brings comfort. It brings strength. It brings ballast to our lives. Sometimes we feel out of control because we are not familiar enough with the reality of God's sovereign rule in our life. We haven't made ourselves familiar with what he says about who you are and what your destiny is in Christ. God, oh, things are going terribly wrong. My life is a mess. This has gone wrong. My car broke down. I'm in debt. This person has left me. What do I do? And certainly those are painful things. They're bad things. Absolutely. Rain does come. Storms do come. Wind does blow. But when you build your house on the testimony of the Lord, you find out that the testimony is sure. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. God is a righteous God. His words are righteous. He has a standard of right and wrong. He has a way that is right and a way that that he deems wrong to live. And when we live in the right, when we experience the goodness of his blessing as we walk in what is right, as he graciously walks with us, we experience joy. And and the, the normal outworking of sin is that it brings pain and suffering. The pain that comes as a result of walking wrongly is is just a reflection of how God has ordered creation. He's made certain things a blessing to us. It is a blessing that I have a wife. It is a blessing that we live in, in faithful matrimony. It is not a blessing when people live outside of that, when, when there's infidelity or when, there, where, when there's broken marriages, where, where there's things happening outside of marriage. That is a bad thing that causes problems. There's blessing when we walk in integrity. And in the normal course of things, when we are honest and, and truthful and righteous in our dealings with other people, in our dealings at work, in our dealings with our friends and families and enemies, when we live in a way that is right, that reflects the righteousness of God's precepts, we experience the rejoicing of the heart. Now, I recognize that that's not always the case and there are, there are alternatives, and that is because we live in a fallen world that expresses other parts, uh, other, other aspects of reality. But that, that is not to say that the precepts of the Lord are not right. That is to say that despite the fact that the precepts of the Lord are right, we live in a world that, that oftentimes exalts what is wrong. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. It's, it's a pure stream. There's no mixture. There's nothing in this Bible that, that, that says, on the one hand, this is right to do, and on the other hand, you know what, just kidding, it's wrong to do. 
There's, there's nothing in this, this word, this command that God gives us that vacillates in different directions. It's pure. And when we see it, it, it brings light to our eyes. It makes it possible f- for us to see reality as it truly is. We can begin to, we can begin to appreciate reality, appreciate scripture, appreciate the world as we create a worldview that is based upon the commandment of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. He shifts for just a brief moment to talk about not, not the word, but the person who is under the word. And when we walk under the word, we walk in the fear of the Lord. When I say when we walk under the word, what I mean is when we walk in submission to what God says in his word, then we, we rightly place God in a place of honor and in a place of awe, recognizing that he is, he is absolutely, he's our savior, but he is also our judge. He's, a, he's the one who, who looks at our life and determines right and wrong. And family, that ought to give us all pause to, to examine our lives and say, how am I living? The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. God's God's rules are for our good, and they're true, and they're right, even when we feel like they're not right, (laughs) especially when we feel like they're not right. When we feel like the rules of the Lord are, are confining, when we feel like the rules of the Lord don't take into account my unique circumstances, when we consider the rules of the Lord and say, well, you know, let me help you, God, we're, we're not rightly seeing God's his life and his purpose for us. But the rules are true and they're righteous, and they will prove to be so. And then he goes on to say, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Now, I will be honest, this is a radical thing for me to wrap my head around. Like, I I prayed about the gold bullion, because if you were to put a gold bullion right here, maybe a couple, I don't know, inflation, and and you're saying, you could have this Bible or you can have this gold bullion, I, I, I might breathe for a second. Now, hopefully, by the grace of God, it would just be a second. I'm saying, take your, take your money, I'm going to keep the word. But, but I think it's true to say that it's, we don't often revere the word of God as that valuable. Now, you go to the go to church and, you know, Pastor Eddie asks you, do you read your Bible every day? Yeah, I mean, I listen to worship music, which may have the Bible in it. <laughs> but, but to say something like, it's more desired than, than gold or fine gold, the psalmist is reflecting on the reality that, that you can't take gold to the grave. I mean, you can, It'll just be great. It'll be gold in the ground, buried treasure. But, but the word of God has implications for eternity. If you, throw, if you throw gold into a river, which I know none of us are going to do, but if you were to throw gold in a river, it sinks to the bottom of the river and that's done. But if, if you take hold of this word and you proverbially, proverbially throw it into your life, it has ripple effects that go on for eternity. This word has power. God's word has power to change the eternal destination of, 
of you and others. And, and again, we talked about the vastness of creation. Eternity is a long time. It is a vast, long time. And I can assure you that those in eternity think very little of gold. They think very little of honey, either because they are honoring God and worshiping Him and experience the joy of His presence, or because they are being tormented because they have forsaken God. And in either case, they're not thinking about gold. They're not wishing, man, I wish I just had another 100,000. Man, I wish I had another couple billion. They didn't take it into eternity. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter than honey. And moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them is the reward great. Paul, in talking about the scriptures, he says in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, he says this, talking to, to Timothy, he says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God, that the, the person of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. It's profitable for helping us. By, by God's word, we're warned in going in the right direction. We're warned in not going in the wrong direction. And in keeping the word, there is great reward. Reward that's greater than gold. When we, when we see that our gracious God, not, not trying to earn something from God, but living in light of the fact that God has given this word as an expression of his grace toward us, when we live in that way and we, we take seriously this word, there's great reward. There's comfort. There's peace. There's provision. There's support. There's help. So we, we hear the psalmist talking about creation and saying, God, you are awesome in creation and, and reflecting on the word of God and saying, God, you are, you are awesome in your revelation. Theologians talk about general revelation, this God revealing himself in creation and special revelation, God revealing himself in scripture. And, and the psalmist is saying, in both of these, God, you raise my eyes up to see you in a way that, that causes me to worship. And so he responds in verses 12. Excuse me, 12 and following. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. He says, there, there's no error here. God, and he begins to pray, God, declare me innocent from hidden faults. Make sure that there are no hidden faults in my life. No, no things that I have done wrong uh, that I didn't even know that I did wrong. You know, if you, if you don't know what that looks like, if you read uh, in the Old Testament, there are many places where the Israelites got so far from the law that they forgot that there even was a law. And in fact, in one place, they come to find the book of Deuteronomy and they read it and they realize and they look around at their culture and their world and they, they weep and they, they mourn because they are so far from what God has said. And he says, please declare me innocent from hidden faults. Let there not be any hidden faults in my life, both hidden from other people and hidden from himself. And he, he goes on and he, he prays even more and he says, keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Keep back your servant from presumptuous sins, those sins that I openly jump into. God, would you make me a, a person who doesn't openly rebel against you? Who doesn't openly step into things that are wrong? 
Guys, your conscience is given to you for a reason so that you will not, so that God will answer that prayer to keep you from presumptuous sins by, by you hearing up. Oh, don't do that. Kids, when you hear that in your, in your mind, don't do that. Listen. Listen. Adults, when you hear, don't click on that. Don't go there. Don't say that. Don't think that. Don't believe that. Keep us from presumptuous sins. God, would you keep us from presumptuous sins? Would you keep us from the kinds of sins that say there is no God? The kinds of sins that say I'm in charge. The kinds of sins that declare I am my own person. Then I shall be blameless, he says, and innocent of great transgression. Don't let these things have dominion over me. Now, Lest we think that this is some sort of performance mentality, God, help me to live in a way that, that earns righteousness. He says, he's praying these things. He's effectively saying, I can only do this if you empower me by your strength, God. He isn't saying, I'm going to live better, I'm going to be better, I'm going to do better. He's saying, God, make me this kind of person. He's calling us to live by grace, through faith, in our God. And he closes with this, and this would be my prayer over us. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, my Lord, my rock, and my redeemer. What would, what would your life look like if that was the rubric for what you said, what you looked at, what you thought about, where you spent your time? What would your life look like? Would you continue to watch Netflix? Would you continue to, to have those conversations around the, the water cooler? Would you continue to dabble in that relationship? If you just thought about the fact that, okay, God is judging the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart, He's not just looking at my actions and saying, oh, well, you are acting in the presence of other people in a way that is honorable, but he's looking at my heart and saying, what are you thinking about? What are you treasuring? What are you holding? Thinking that no one can see this. Family, we're all here. There's all, all of us have, have a little thing that we treasure. You know, in, in the Lord of the Rings, there's this character, um, Gollum, and he, and he treasures the, the ring. And, and if you're familiar, he's, he kind of, he talks and walks around like, Gollum, and he talks like that. And he's actually, I don't remember his original name, but he, he's transformed into this character. S some of you do, I heard. Smeagol, Smeagol, yeah, okay. Smeagol, thank you. Pre exactly, the one who says, my precious. We're gonna get off on the tangent here and talk about Lord of the Rings. Okay, so Smeagol, in treasuring this, really Tolkien is giving us a picture of what it looks like for us to treasure sin, to treasure wickedness. And, and family, we can all start out as Smeagles and think that we can hold it closely and no one will know and no one will take it from us. But by the end, we are Gollum. And he says... Oh, Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be, be pleasing to you. 
if the words of your mouth and the meditations of your heart you know aren't pleasing to God, if perhaps there were some meditations on the way to church today, if there were some meditations at home, if there were maybe some meditations or some words that were said or thought on Wednesday and you're saying these are not pleasing to the Lord, listen to what he says. Let them be acceptable to my, to, in your sight. Who? O Lord, Yahweh, my what? Rock and Redeemer. We have a rock. We have a Redeemer. The good news is he prays this prayer because he is in process. He prays this prayer because he knows that it might not be true and he needs God to move on him. Family, if you need God to move on on you, the the, the solution is not to quit. The solution is not to dig deeper into your sin. This, This solution is to stop where you are and say, God, let the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. Do what you need to do to make the meditations of my heart pleasing, the words of my mouth pleasing. I repent, I turn away from these evil thoughts, these evil actions, these evil words, these these evil meditations, and I turn to you. Family, some of you don't worship because you watch bad stuff on television. Some of you don't worship because you read ridiculous celebrity gossip. Some of you don't worship because you harbor bitterness. And the solution is not to try and read the Bible more, uh, act better at church, get the right. The, the solution is to take, take the ring, like Gollum, and instead of treasuring the ring, throw it away and run to your rock and redeemer. Yeah. Keep me from unintentional sin, he prays. Keep me from overt sin, he prays. Let my words and my thoughts be pleasing. Family, my guess is that for many of us, I would say probably for most of us, there are things that we can think of right now that we're not pleasing to God this week, that maybe we're not pleasing this past month, that we're not pleasing this past year. And and what I'm not trying to do is to just shame you into walking away with your head down and dejected. What I'm encouraging you to do is to say, you were created for worship. You were made to worship God. You were made to rejoice in his word. You were made to stand on his sure footing. You were made to experience his perfection. And the way that you do that is you take these meditations, you take these thoughts, you take these words that were said out of alignment with God's will and you repent, you turn away from them. Say, God, I'm sorry. That does not reflect your goodness, your righteousness. I'm sorry. Help me to have words and thoughts that reflect your word, your thoughts. And the good news is that God, he loves us so much that he didn't just give us this word, but he sent his word, Jesus Christ. John tells us that the word became flesh and he dwelt among us. And Jesus lived in order that we might live. He lived a perfect life of obedience. He perfectly worshiped his father. He perfectly considered God worthy of his devotion. And then he died on the cross for our sins in our place. So that anyone who would put their faith in him might call God their rock and redeemer. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, if you've never considered this and and you're realizing, man, when I look at my life, it does not reflect someone whose words and meditations 
are pleasing in your sight, but you want that to be the case, then I would just ask you to pray this prayer. There's nothing magical about the prayer. It reflects what, what, it's a response to what God is doing in your heart. If that's you, you can just pray and say, God, I turn away from the thoughts, from the actions, from the words that I know that are not pleasing to you. And I turn to you, Jesus Christ, as my Lord and my Savior. God, I give myself as a living sacrifice. And I pray that you would help me to live in a way that honors you. And family, I, I don't want to rush past this point. I know that we're running a little bit over, but I don't want to rush past this point. If there's something or some things that came to mind when you thought about how maybe the thoughts of your heart or the, the words of your mouth aren't quite in alignment with, with God's words and thoughts, do something about that today. Would you do something about that today? If, you, if you've been saying, you know what, I need to just stop watching that thing. I need to stop going to that place. I need to stop talking to that person. Or I need to forgive that person. I need to call that person. If there's something that, that God is bringing to mind, would you walk in obedience and do that thing today? You can write it down right now. Just take 30 seconds, get your phone out, write out how you want to respond. And then after service, do that thing. And allow God to give you the opportunity to experience the joy of his salvation. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimonies of the Lord, Lord is sure, making simple the wise. The principles, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold. You're not going to take gold into eternity. Sweeter than honey and drippings of honeycombs. By them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Let's pray. Father God, would you make me a person who worships you not just on Sunday, but on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday? Would you help me to see your glory in creation and in your word? Lord, and would you bring life to my numb soul? Would you bring life to the souls in this room that are numb because they've anesthetized themselves with entertainment and media and they've hardened their hearts because of pain and bitterness and brokenness? God, would you, would you bring life and vitality to our hearts? And make us people who worship you. People who have worship just boiling over, bubbling out of us. Who can't help but say, God, you're good. Thank you this morning for waking me up. Thank you for my provision of my job. Thank you for my family. Thank you for, for, for being with me in the middle of this hardship. Thank you for being with me in the middle of this pain. Thank you for not forsaking me. God, you're worthy. Make us people who recognize and who, who proclaim that you are worthy. And make us people who come to the foot of the cross and remember that, that it is by grace that we are able to say we worship you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.